How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to The Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Chris Savage. Chris is the founder and CEO of Wistia. Prior to co-founding Wistia, he graduated from Brown University. He's been there for 16 years. Uh, the thing I love about your bio, man, is you love spending time with your family, getting super caffeinated with cold brew coffee. It's a, a sweet spot to integrate there. On top of it, too, he's the podcast host of Talking Too Loud, which has actually been on fire lately. We were just chatting about it before. Chris, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Um, thanks for having me. And you know, I like to think having little kids is a forcing function for drinking caffeine. Right, like you needed to survive, um, and you also needed to keep up with them. So you know, I always was a coffee lover, and now it turns out, seven-year-old, four and a half-year-old running around, I'm consuming more coffee than I ever have. My body's ready. I'm a, I'm adapted to the caffeine. So thank you, thank you for having me, and I hope we don't talk too loud and blow out these mics today. No, that's awesome, man. And uh, I'm I'm a big advocate of caffeine too. It's uh, it kind of reminds me on the the movie Kicking and Screaming. Did, have you watched that with your kids yet? With uh, Will I have not Ferrell. watched it with them, but yes, I know the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a, there's a bit in there about uh, Will Ferrell and Mike Dicka where uh, Will Ferrell goes on a rant because he starts drinking so much coffee. Brings a cappuccino machine to the side. It's it's awesome. You would get <laughs> it would be a good. It's actually very age appropriate for the age that your kids are at, and then you would probably get a lot of good laughs out of it as well. I I will check it out. All right, so. Not to go down a, a, a weird rabbit hole, but let, let's get things car- started real quick before we get into your backstory. It's about where you're at in terms of the stage of your journey. And so where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah, we're in the we're in the 60s. So okay. Millions, awesome, not man. thousands. <laughs> Just to That's be clear. Good, man. That's a good place yeah. to be. What's yeah. your primary revenue go-to-market mar- go strategy? Um, it's really uh, primarily like a content strategy. Um you know, consistently publishing content across many channels on our site um, and building the brand by doing that. Okay. So you kind of have the, is it like the uh, Alex Hermosi organic strategy be everywhere, omnipresent across all channels type approach? <laughs> or? Um, it is. I wouldn't have called it that, um, but I know what you're talking about. Um, no, I mean, it's very simple. Uh, you know, I think, I think about it as like our mission is to help help businesses thrive with video. And that are, that's a lot broader than what our product is. So there's tons and tons and tons of ways for us to deliver on that mission by making content that helps people um, and helps them solve a problem, helps them in their career, helps them make a video look better, helps them edit it, all those different sorts of things. And so we've made our site like a central repository of that. And then of course, we're on tons of different platforms as well. Um, but if I look back on the last like 16 years, the most consistent, most core thing we've done is building up that brand equity consistently with content. Okay. So let's definitely dive into that because that's that's um that's kind of that's where HubSpot started, right? Um I don't know if you know it, but the the two founders, Brian and um Darmesh started there and they they all started with just writing two articles a week and then they grew yeah. to the massive machine that they are now from that. So that's awesome. So let's dig into that. How big is your team right now, Chris? The company is about 215 people. Okay. So 215. Uh, and then can you walk us through just a real quick uh, understanding of your solution and who it serves? Yeah. So it's a video marketing platform. Um, we're focused on SMBs. 
And it is a very simple way to host and analyze your content, manage your content. Um, you know, people use us for feedback and reviews and approvals. Uh, people use us for analytics. They use us to edit clips from things and touch up things. Um, we have a custom player that has no branding, no ads, um, that allows you to control the experience of the videos across your site. And then once you do that, we have the data on how people are watching it, what they're viewing, what they're rewatching, what they're skipping, all that kind of stuff. And so from that, you can see the interest within the video, of course, but also the specific people. Um, and you could tie that into your marketing automation providers. HubSpot's a great example of that. And you can build cadences. You can do all sorts of things based on how people are consuming your content. Awesome. A lot of need for that, especially with how rapid uh, videos have been growing. What are, are you bootstrapped or funded? Um, well, we only ever raised angel money. We raised $1.3 million in angel financing in 2008 and 2010. And then in 2017, we raised $17 million in debt to buy out our investors. So I like to think of it as we've raised uh, negative, negative $16 million at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really unique way to reframe it. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So let's talk about you, man. What's your backstory? And like, like I told you in the pre-show, like I was really impressed because like you just jumped right in it and then stayed with the same company for 16 years right yeah. out of school, which you don't see very often. So how did that whole thing go down? How did it happen? And then would just love to hear the the backdrop on that. Yeah, I mean, I you know I'll start by saying um, so. I started with my co-founder Brendan. We're still great friends. We still work together really well. Uh, we thought we'd work together really well from the beginning, and um, you know we were just unbelievably naive. You know that that's that was the strategy. Just be naive enough to think that you can go start a company, and and we thought we'd run out of money in six months, and then we would sell the business, or we would just fail in obscurity and tell no one that we ever tried. That was our approach. Um, and, uh, fortunately, you know, it's, it's worked out quite well. Um, and really it was just, we saw a trend at the time of, it was no longer hard, uh, and no longer did you need to be technical to put videos online. And it turned out that that was because there was open source tools to do the encodings of of video. So you didn't have to understand how video encoding worked. YouTube was using this. There was also like 10 companies that are all exactly the same as YouTube that launched at the same time. Um, and we saw this, we're like, this is going to change online video. It's here. This is a big trend. We should jump into it. it. took us about a year to focus on helping businesses because they were like really the most underserved of that group. And it was a tiny little niche that like we could focus on. Um, and nobody else was at the time. And we just slowly but surely like... Uh, you know, kind of expanded the niches, the niches, niches, niches. I always like to go between those um, over time um, and, you know, had to keep reinventing and keep evolving. Uh, but that's, that's really how we started. That's awesome, man. So like, so you, you had your plan, like, all right, if we're going to fail, it's going to be an obscurity, which is yeah. a, which is a safe out. You know, what, what, what do you think pushed you through that wall? Because a lot of people do fail, right? When they when it comes yeah, to starting. Yeah, I mean, so. you know, I think it was when we got the the rush of getting the first customer was more than I expected it would be. Right, like when we got our first customer, it was almost a year to the day when we started, but we actually didn't have a product that solved the problem that they had. Um, we our first customer was a medical device company. We got connected to them through a friend. They were sending DVDs all across the world, and they needed a secure way 
to share these DVDs and let doctors comment on them because they were shooting video of surgeries and DVDs was like how they did it, right? And we had made a lot of things in that first year um, with video. The one that we were working on right before this was a portfolio website for filmmakers. So we had online video working and encoding working and we're making a project thing for those filmmakers. And but we went to the medical device company. They said they want to secure a private way to do this. And we just made up a price. And we said, look, you can get this. The light plan is $100 a month. The, the medium plan is $200 a month. The heavy plan is $400 a month. What do you get? Private secure video sharing. That's it. But we didn't have the product. We had some of the tech we'd built, but we didn't have the product. And they looked at it and they're like, wow, that was a great deal. Let's do this. And they got the heavy <laughs> plan. And then we scrambled and spent two weeks making the, the first version of Wistia. Um, and the rush was so real from like solving an actual problem for an actual customer. And that just continued. And over time, I've learned that like it's not, it's not that hard to predict, I think, like what the future of a lot of tech is going to be. Like, will we get self-driving car- cars? Of course, we're going to get self-driving cars. Of course, we are. What's hard to predict is when. Like, when will it happen? And so part of the, I think part of the the secret is just being in the game. And if you're in the game, you get to learn, you get to try stuff, you get to improve. And it was, you know, over time we realized like, oh, like this market, this business video market, we're unbelievably early on it. Like 2007 is really early, but we were enjoying what we were doing. We were constantly making the product better and we were constantly finding more customers to serve and that that was just a rush that that never gave up that never ended. Just, it's I still get it. Yeah, I I think um, I I love that. I mean, in terms of being in the game, I guess like how well. Let me ask you this: How long did it take you to get to a million in revenue? It took a while. Um, I'm gonna say it was like probably four years in. Okay, so that's not that's not too bad. I mean, that's that's really good considering. I mean, I know you had some angel money, but. Like some folks, I, I, I guess it depends. It depends on the founder, right? I've it, seen people I, we say, thought it was slow at the time. Okay. When I go back and look at the percentage growth that we were experiencing, it's pretty fast. Well, um, yeah. Especially at a $100 a month product, right? Is that where yeah. you guys were kind of at there? Like, so yeah. that's a lot of users you acquired. Yes. And I, I think it was, it's like one of those things when you're in it, things feel slow and you look back on it. It's like, wow, holy shit. Like this is actually happening faster than I thought. And sometimes I use that same thing when we're when we're stressing about like we have a huge launch coming out next week, and I'm very pumped about it. I'm so excited about it. But at one point, you have a decision. You, you know, there's a meeting, you know, a month ago, and it's like, is it going to happen in a month, or is it going to get pushed out? Are we going to be ready, or is it going to get pushed out? And if you're looking at like your numbers this month and this quarter and the end of the year, like can be you can have a huge amount of stress about like what if you have to push this thing out. But if you look at it as like Will I care in three years if it slipped a month or not? Will I care in five years or ten years? No, I'm. But I'm playing a different game, right? Like I'm playing the longevity game, so that doesn't stress me out. And having that in my back pocket is actually helpful because sometimes you look at things and you're like, "Oh, I don't need to be as stressed about this short term thing," and that frees us up to actually make what is the right decision for the customer, um, but can be hard to do when you're really short term focused. How 
Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. First of all, so what, what increments do you think of in terms of, you said long-term, do you think in like 10, 10 year, five year, 20 year, what's your increments? I try to ask myself the question, like, am I making decisions in how the business is run that I'm going to be excited to do this in 10 years? And I try to picture like, what will my life be like? Like how old my, will my kids be? How old will I be? Am I spending my time the way I want to spend it? Which is, I think a pretty fundamental question to ask yourself, like, am I in the right, am I in the right world? Am I doing the right stuff? Um, and I think you also like there's a, that's also you're asking yourself a fundamental market question. Do you believe that the market you're in is going to keep growing? Do you think it's going to be big enough to sustain that much um, effort and time? And I and I think it's healthy to like check in on that. And obviously, we look at things of like we have milestones and goals that are set out for two years or three years out from now, or all these different sorts of things, um, and things that are for the quarter, of course. Um, but yeah, that's I try to start with ten. Okay, so that's strong. And do you have like a, a target for the company in ten years where you guys want to get to revenue wise? We have not. We have not set a, a revenue target for ten years. Okay. Um, yeah, we've set other like different goals that are on like three year timelines internally. We have a mission that should get us to ten years and beyond. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like what's the Almost like what's the feeling and what is what what do we think is like a scale that we could be on in 10 years? And then working backwards, like what is a goal that's hard but achievable in three years? And then that's kind of we keep we keep trying to go to three years to anchor to that and then um use that to set our shorter term goals. Okay. So and then when you say when you scale to just is that mean like the impact you're making or how many people you want to serve? Is that kind of what you're thinking in? And then yeah, that's the type of stuff we talk about. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome, man. Cause that's like, and I was literally just listening to something on this about, you could tell how, how advanced an entrepreneur is or founder or CEO by the time horizons they look at, right. For their goals. Right. So, and one of the number one things they, they were talking about was that a 10 year time horizon is, is most uh, typical for billionaires. So uh, mm. con- congratulations, you're doing something right. Um, that's why I was asking the number. I'm like, I wonder if he's got that billion dollar number in his mind or whatever. So um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's it's funny because I also, I got great advice from someone once we were talking about your management team and like what they should be thinking about. And I've had, I'm not going to say a lot of different management teams, but I'll say we've tried a lot of different things. And like the thing that I've learned is that when it's working best, which is the same thing, this advice I got from a friend who's running a much larger business had said is like, ideally, I really am spending my time on what the next few years are like. Like, what are the trade offs we're going to experience over the next few years? What is the potential in the organization over the next few years? And then the VPs, like, they should be spending time over the next year, the next year to two. And then the director should be spending their time on like the half year or the quarter. And in an ideal world, that's what's happening. And I will not say we're always there, but I have experienced that. And it is like a pretty amazing thing to see because you get basically, you start dealing with problems that could exist a year from now if you don't do XYZ thing. 
And it makes it a lot easier to make the decisions in the short term if you're actually spending your time talking about and working through the longer term stuff. So, I, and I love that. I mean, I think that's amazing. Like the kind of the way you frame that up with like you or the CEO two years, right? And then VPs next year, directors, couple quarters within the next year. I love that. So what's your, like, how much time do you spend on a weekly basis thinking about that or investing time on, on that vision? In, in the longer term stuff? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a surprisingly large amount of time, I think. Um, I spent a lot of time talking about the trade-offs of like, are we investing enough or not? Are we investing enough, too much, too little? Um, and, you know, as the scale of the business has changed and grown, the scale of that problem is different than it used to be. And I'll give you an example of like, this year, we decided, we think we have a bunch of stuff figured out. We think we have the right strategy. Um, but we need to do a bunch of things at the same time. And we need to expand how many things this organization can do at once. And so we're going to hire much more dramatically than we have in previous years. So we started 22 with 130 people. And we've got grown to 215 people already under our own steam. And we did that because it felt like if we, if we do this and we make these investments earlier, we're going to start to get the payoff of all of these investments, you know, in 22 and 23 and if we if we don't if we don't invest enough we're going to be delaying the time that this stuff comes out and this is a difference of you know tens of millions of dollars in investment um and the only it was actually pretty easy to make the decision around this because we'd spent so much time on what that future could look like but when i've been in moments when it's crazy it's hectic and you don't have the time to to think about that future, a lot of decisions get much harder. You get wrapped up in smaller things. And ultimately, it's it's harder, I think, to take bigger bets. So how long did it take you to get to that point, like where you were starting to look? And this is why, this is why I love podcasts, man. I had no idea that we were going to talk about this, about yeah. your, your vision strategy. But I think it's really yeah. cool because I haven't heard anybody else talk about it in this frame. So what like how, at what, what point in the, the business did you start thinking at that level? Like what revenue range? Yeah, I think <laughs> I was like, how deep to go? Um, we started thinking about this problem when we were like 15 million in revenue. Okay. But I made a bunch of mistakes because I thought 15 million in revenue was a lot. And I was equating how long we'd been at this partially with the size of the business. Okay. You know, because it was like, you know, we're grinding, we're going, we're not raising venture capital. We're not growing 100% year over year after we hit like 10 million, right? That's not what Wistia has been. And so we're like hit 15. We're like, wow, look at us. It's a real business. This is sick. And everyone's like, yeah, this is sick. It's like, should we add other lines of business? Like, oh, that seems like a thing you do when you're bigger. Yeah, you have other lines of business. Like we start researching other lines of business. We start doing all this stuff. We basically distract ourselves. We build some shit that's really valuable, but it's not in our core product. And people are confused. And like, God, what, a, you know, and it took a while to, uh, some of those things are just getting unraveled right now. Um, like, it's crazy how long things can take once you have a large organization to get the extra things pulled apart and into this like core, right? So I thought I was doing it back then. And then I would say it really has been only since like probably 2020 that we had a strong, I didn't understand really that. Once you have a truly strong senior management team, 
Mm-hmm. I know everyone says this. It's so easy to say, build a strong senior management team and that's how you scale. But it's it's pretty hard to do. Um, and it's hard to do because not only I think do you need people who know the shit, you also need to work together really well. You have to trust each other. You have to be like... You, you should not be a family, but you should be a high-functioning organization where everyone's playing a specific role. And once that happened, suddenly, I was like... I'm not in these meetings, literally. Like my time is, I have all this time back. This is crazy. And what am I going to do with this time? And I was like, oh, wait, I should talk to customers. And I'm talking to customers more. It's like, oh, I should be using the products myself. You know, I have my own podcast and I'm making video versions of the podcast and they're going in Wistia and I'm playing with different products that you can use to edit and do all this. And it's like, then when we're putting an editor in our product, which we did this year, it's like you have way more conviction about the stuff that should be in there and the stuff that shouldn't be. And it's only because I have the time because you've built the team and you have like you've delegated enough and all those things can you actually even be at that place? And uh, it's compounding too. And just another thing is like I wish I had known earlier was um, it's incredibly easy to undervalue the power of modeling as a leader. It is so easy to undervalue with that. Like when you're small and early, especially if you're in, in person, I think this is true remote, but I think it's especially true in person. People just copy what you're doing. Like you just like you work together. It's like, oh, the way that Chris, this is the way that Chris answers emails for a customer. So that's what I should do. You don't have to tell anyone to do it that way. Um, and then you think it's all about process. That's what I thought. It's all about process to get bigger. But if you run your senior manager meeting and it's a poorly run meeting, guess what? Pretty hard for everyone in, throughout the business to run their meeting super well too, because they don't have a great model. You run that meeting really well. Turns out all the other meetings are being run well. It just ripples to the organization. It's crazy. It's amazing. Yeah, because otherwise you're just scaling shit, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, but it's like, but like, if you tell people we need to run meetings well, we don't want to have a wasteful meeting culture. They're like, cool. What's Chris doing? He's in meetings all day. Why is he saying yes to all this shit? Then it's like, I, it's like actions speak louder than words. They really do, and people just like, well, I guess that's not actually the most important thing. Versus it was like once we were actually high functioning, that everyone's like, oh yeah, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And so it just, it propagates through. Love that, man. It's, I, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been in, um, I've been in environments like that before the, the whole meeting vampire situation. So, so let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about, cause that, that was awesome. Just hearing your framework for that and the maturity and, and like how you've shifted your belief structure around that. But like, let's talk about video, right? Cause obviously you, you've, how many, let me ask you this. So how many videos do you have going through your platform now? Um, any idea on what that is at a macro number? Um, yeah. Um, like the last couple of years, 42 million videos uploaded. Okay. So 42 million. So I imagine you get some amazing insights from that. Um, and then I know you also have like a content, like growth is, is kind of what we talked about. So, you know, like starting from that, obviously you're eating your own dog food or drinking your own champagne, whichever way you want to do it. Right. So how many, how many podcasts (laughs) or not podcasts? How many, how much content do you create then like on a weekly basis? You said you're, you're doing an amazing job of that as a company. As a company? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. We are creating thousands of videos a year. Um, but in terms of like, that's across the business. Cause like, you know, we have incredible video producers an amazing head of production. They're making a lot of like really professional content. That's probably three videos a week, something like that. But we also have lots of other people throughout the organization that are creating content. 
you know, we have sales reps that are making content. We have customer success reps that are making content. We have folks in support who are making content. We have, you know, product marketers who are making content. So it gets into the thousands um, per year. But I would say, what are the, I mean, what are the insights? I mean, I can give you insights across the platform. If that's yeah, helpful. man, we'd love that. And then just like, like, I don't want to say how you, you weaponize it, but how you leverage like a content led growth strategy. Cause I love it that you're doing the podcast. I, yeah. I mean, you tons of videos, like, yeah. So you have a really unique perspective that most of the people don't have. So we'd just love to hear it. Um, yes. So I, yeah. So I, I would say the place I would start is, is basically, I, I like to think about the audience first. So what does the audience want to consume? Who is your audience? I think the first thing is, this was true pre-COVID, but it's become more true um, since COVID happened, which is that the audience is in control. They have unlimited competition for how to spend their time, what to watch, what to listen to, all of that. Um, and we have an expectation now that if you have, if you want a video that explains something, you can go to Google and search for it and it will be there, right? Like we all believe this. Like I was just um, putting these, like I have these like smart light switches around my my house. You know, shout out to Lutron Caseta, my favorite uh, smart light smart light switch. Uh, that's a crazy thing to say in a podcast, but it's true. <laughs> um, but if you're wondering how to wire that thing up, you're like, show me how to wire it and you find it, right? Like, of course you you find it. And as consumers, we walk around with this expectation. You can find video content on anything. You also assume um, if you go to any major media outlet that you get to pick if you want to listen or if you want to read. So New York Times, you can skim that news every day if you want. You can also just subscribe to The Daily, their podcast, and you can listen to the one most important story each day. Or you can watch like the videos on their site and consume it. The audience is in control. They get to pick. So I start there. Now, let's jump B2B. Okay, what is it different about someone who's in B2B versus B2C? Nothing. They're a human being. Like <laughs> they, They're having the same experience as you and me. So what are their expectations? Their expectations is they get to pick. Do they want to watch? Do they want to listen? Do they want to read? So the first thing I would say is look across your content. Look for the lowest hanging fruit, the fruit that's, you know, the content that's on your site that's already driving interest. Or if you don't have the content yet, Talk to your sales team about the things that are coming up consistently. Talk to your support team about the things that are coming up consistently and make that content in all those formats. And I would start with the base at the bottom of the funnel and work your way up. The thing that's really interesting that's changed since COVID is we saw an enormous increase in the number of videos being created. Absolutely enormous, right? Expectations shifted in terms of where these videos are. You and I are, I assume you're in your home right now. Yeah. Are totally. you in your home? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're both in our homes, right? Shooting stuff from our homes. This was not the norm before. Some people did it, but it wasn't the norm. Um, and so, uh, and the cost of creating it has come down, right? So production up, cost down, expectations different. And consumption is actually way up and it stayed up. Really? That's one of the most remarkable things is like the n- number of videos being created like in 21 compared to 20 was about the same as 2020 versus 2020 was up like 3x on 2019. It's set up, but the total time on consumption has gone up. And the other interesting thing is consumption of long form has gone up a lot. Really? Okay. So, so has short form. But I think this is really interesting because the advice like four years ago was, if you're going to make a video, make it short. Make it to the point, capture someone's attention. That's great advice if someone has no connection to you. But 
if they're building a connection to your brand, someone will watch this podcast, right? Someone will watch it. Uh, people will watch webinars. They will watch really in-depth stuff. Uh, my co-founder was, we were talking about this the other day. We we're getting really fired up about it because I was looking at this data. I was doing some presentation on this. I was talking to him about it. And he was telling me about this guy he watches called Obsessed Garage. Have you heard of this? No. It's a no. guy who basically has these like 30 minute and these hour long reviews of um, stuff to help you like really clean your car, like fastidiously, like the best gear that exists. And you go look and there's tens of millions of views on this stuff. It's all long form. It's slow, but it's super, super specific. It's super niche. And I think that's a, a really key insight of like, we will spend enormous amounts of time on something if it's going to bring us joy or in B2B, it's going to help us grow our business. It's going to help us grow our career. It's going to help us differentiate. And I think that in the way when I think about that insight now is like, that means we all need to be making content across the funnel from the very bottom all the way to you should build a brand and you should build an audience with content. And then it's actually how do you atomize the content and get it out there so that some people can see the long form stuff, but some people... The the only way you're ever going to convince them to watch the long form is to watch the 10 second clips that you put on TikTok or you put on Reels. Okay, so I love that. Um, so so if you're looking at it, and that I mean that was really good insights because I would have guessed long form would have went down still. So it's interesting to say that, and I'm going to check out Obsessed Garage because it's uh, that's that's very random in terms of. Uh, it's so about. random, but there's so much stuff like this when you get into it. It's, it's we all do it. We just don't recognize like that the behavior changes there. So do you for your podcast like how much? Because I saw it on your website, I checked it out. Yeah. I didn't follow you around the entire. I didn't stalk yeah. you around the web though, per se though, right? So yeah. like, do do you do that with your do you, do you cut up your podcast into YouTube Shorts, TikTok? Yeah, so I'll tell you the strategy. So we started. We wanted the podcast to be something that was really easy to start. We wanted to, the production not to be crazy. Like we said, hey, we're going to do this, but we need it to be a format that we can keep going on and we could keep improving. Like okay. if the format's the same, we're going to get better at doing it. We're going to ask better questions. We're going to bring more guests on, right? And uh, we host it on the site. So you can go to wistia.com and you can see it and you can watch it there. You can listen. But that is really just to convince somebody that it's worth subscribing. So when we started the podcast, the majority of the listening and watching was happening on Wist.com. And now the majority of the time some of the podcast is on other platforms um, by a long shot. It still always spikes on the site first when a new episode comes out, but then it goes onto these other platforms. I'll also just mention like the reason that's also helpful for us is we can actually see that it's getting us customers because we have those people that are hitting the site. So you can see, hey, of the people that hit the site, what percentage of them become customers? What percentage of customers are influenced by this content? And then you can take a guess when you know that's actually that's a fraction of the consumption that the long form in other places is probably helping us a bunch too, right? Gotcha. So that's helpful. Then what we started doing is taking... Uh, we started with individual clips that we we're putting on like Twitter and LinkedIn because we felt like that's where the B2B audience is. My insight there, LinkedIn, literally 100 times better than Twitter. I know many people know this. I feel like I was late to the game on this, but like I get 100 the times engagement on LinkedIn with a much small, with a third of the size of the audience I have on Twitter um, than on Twitter. It's crazy. And uh, I think my theory there is that there's just more demand than there is supply still. You know, there's a lot of people refreshing that feed and you got you to gotta put your content there. 
And then in the last couple months, we've started taking clips and also putting these clips on like TikTok and Reels and Shorts. And the strategy there is because of the way the algorithms work, TikTok is more focused on the individual video than the creator. Like follow, it's, you know, they're not a social platform. They're like an entertainment platform is what they call it. So you can put 10 clips there. And if one of them takes off, it's like you can have zero followers and you can put clips there that get thousands of views or millions of views because it doesn't matter if you have followers. So what we're doing is basically we're trying to get our TikTok strategy to be in a place where we're consistently posting like four to five clips from each episode. Then we'll take the best clip, the, the clip that performed best, and we'll bring that to Instagram. We'll bring that to LinkedIn. Does that mm. make sense? And we'll put okay, that on so short. You're, you're testing it out on TikTok then. That's right. what we're doing right now, which so far has been working, which is great. Um, and it's real. I mean, it's transparently it's very early days on there, but I'm I'm excited about it because we put some stuff on there. It's like this thing got a thousand views, and this thing got fifty, and this thing got fifty, and this thing got fifty, and we put another one that gets a thousand. These ones get one hundred, one hundred, one hundred. I'm like, you know, actually, now that you say the the one thousand, it is more compelling. But I almost wasn't obvious beforehand because all four clips seemed kind of interesting. And then it feels like more bang for the buck because on LinkedIn, it does matter who the creator is who's uploading the content. Okay. And so if you upload a bunch of stuff that sucks, it will your stuff will get boosted less. So you want to have a higher average quality content on there. Mm, yeah. I think that makes sense. Um, LinkedIn is really different with video. I think they made a shift about three months ago. It seems like they were like penalizing video like terribly. And a few months ago, it seems like they've they've kind of juiced it back up. So yeah, now it kind more. of feels like it's become video first. It's and a lot of these platforms, it's crazy. I mean, it's so so different than it was before. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I what about YouTube? Do, do you do a lot on YouTube? I didn't really hear you mention. I know. Yeah, you it's funny. Shorts, you know, but... we we um, we're doing some on YouTube. I think we will do more in the next year. Um, we like. You know, the whenever I think you make a big piece of content, you have to ask. I, I like to think of it basically as a product by itself. If you have a product, how are you going to launch it? Where it's where and where is it going to roll through first? And use the example of like traditional media, like you have a movie, that's your content. You have the trailer for it, then you see it in theaters. And after it's in theaters, it's streaming, and then it's on airplanes and all this other stuff. And so we've done a lot in the past of like, oh, we'll we'll get leads out of this thing. We get leads. We're like, oh, well, people saw it already and they saw it was gated and like, did that hurt us or help us? Um, So we're going to do more experimentation of like the broader, bigger content being on other platforms first. Like talking to that is every episode goes on YouTube as well. Um, Open question if it's better right now, it's under the Wistia channel. And there's a question of like, should it be its own channel or should it be the Wistia channel is like a good question. Um, But it's organically starting to get more views. Uh, But that's something we'll, we'll invest more in the next like... 12 months. But I think the take the takeaway I would give on this is like, this is a lot of channels to manage. And it's a lot of stuff to start with. And I, 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 think, I think the key for us has been looking at the core performance of the podcast, treating it like a product, getting people to subscribe and actually asking them what they think of it. Like we've done surveys of the audience. Hey, what do you like? What don't you like? That have been so instructive and given us confidence. Like, hey, the numbers are small here. But they're really into it. So that's probably why it's good to keep trying this other channel and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I just say, I, I, the takeaway for I would give people is like, don't forget about the qualitative. 
and start with one thing. And then once you have it working, then you can start to layer other things on. Okay. How did you survey your podcast audience? Well, if you subscribe on the site, um, you subscribe via email. Uh, okay. So we have gotcha. thousands of people who have subscribed on the site just to get every talking to that episode. And so we can, we know it's a, it's a fraction of the overall audience, uh, but they will get the email and they can respond because of that. Okay. And then we put call outs in the videos and the, and the episodes basically, you know, telling people our email, ttlpod at wissy.com. And if you have feedback or questions, you can send it to us there and we get folks like hitting us up there as well. That's awesome. I love that. So we're almost up on time um, and I want to be sensitive to you. So <clears throat> before we wrap things up, I'd love to hear what's your single best strategy for growing your business? I think that that's such a good question. That's a hard question. I, I would love to hear everyone's answer on this question. Um, I, I think that the best strategy is, can you find a way to build a product that is opinionated and solves the problem in a unique way for your customer? And then can you actually stay close enough to that, that you're constantly improving? And ideally, either the customer is in your building um, or you have an incredibly close relationship to them such that you're constantly in front, right in front of where the market needs to be. Because... When you're shipping product constantly and it is exactly on point for what customers want and you're solving things that they've told you about their problems, but you've, you've solved it in a way they didn't expect, that, that wins. That's easy to market. That's easy to sell. That's easy to increase the price on. That's easy to do everything with. And if you fall too far away from that, and if that's not deeply embedded in your organization, it gets pretty hard to grow. And uh, I, you know, we haven't always had it right, but I can tell you as someone who's worked incredibly hard to get to that, it's kind of that simple. Like if you have the right product that allows you to market and sell it, that's how you grow. Okay. So let's take it one level deeper. So be opinionated, solve in a unique way, and then stay like really close to your customer. So you, you know where the ball is going to be or where the puck's going to be before you, you have to skate to it. Right. Not, not yeah. And I think don't be afraid to market simple things if they are really useful. I think a lot of times we make stuff and it's easy for us to make. <laughs> and, and then we don't tell anyone about it because it was too easy. Like it took a day. Um, there's a, I can think of a specific moment that we did this where we launched this feature in Wistia. It was to solve our own problem. Basically, you could replace a video that was already embedded. So the video is embedded. Now you go in, you're like, there's a problem with it or you want to change it. So we made this feature, replace video. How long did it take to build this feature? It took someone about two hours. And we weren't even going to say anything. It was to solve our own problem because we had videos on the site that we needed to change. We didn't go to want to go re-embed them. It was the same video, slight tweaks to it, stuff like that. And we're like, well, I know it just took two hours, but like this is a core thing. Like, and it's really helpful. It's really simple. Like maybe we actually should market this feature that's in a dropdown, you know, this tiny little like thing that was so easy to do. And we marketed it and we made a fun thing, really being like emotional and trying to empathize with the pain that occurs if you have a finished thing and you put it live in your site and there's a problem, which is basically what we were solving for. And the response was out of control. 
It was just, yes, so much demand, so much excitement. And it was the simplest thing in the world. I mean, even I talked about this before, but we launched this editor in June of this year. Basically means any Wistia video, you can edit it. What can you do? The most simple edits you've ever seen. You can cut the ends off and you can pull and you can pull out parts of the middle. That's it. Okay. It's more simple than what you can do on your phone. It doesn't even seem like it should be a feature. And yet, when we announced this, there was so much excitement from customers. There's so many people using this feature because it is so simple. And because if you have long form content, if you have webinars, if you have like a bumper, you change your logo, there's all these different reasons why someone might want to just take the ends off something or take the middle of it out if they made a mistake and they started going again, if like you just recorded something, right? And so huge demand, huge excitement, simple feature, but we made a launch video for it. We made its own page. We pushed it and we're very clear. We thought it was going to be really helpful. And yet like the the footprint of the product is very small. And I think like the only reason we were able to do that is the confidence of, oh yeah, this is small and it's simple, but it, the value can really be there for a customer. And so I, don't be afraid. If you know your customer really well, you get, to, you get to do that. If you don't, you don't know if that's the thing that they actually care about or what they're going to do, you know? And then what about, which is great. I love that. It, what about the opinionated part? So what do you mean by that exactly? Yeah. I So I think that, we have to remember that in a world of SaaS, customers are not signing up for what your product is today. They are subscribing to something that supposedly they could cancel at any moment. But the truth is, that's not what we want people to do. We want them to stick with our platforms as we evolve, right? We mm-hmm. want to keep making our products better and better integrating them into other things and keep delighting the customer. So really, when a customer sign up for a subscription product, they are, and they know this, they're thinking like, how much value will I get in the future? What direction is this company going in? What can I expect in terms of the values of how they're going to build things? And so being opinionated can mean doing like you always come, we're always going to do the hard work of solving the problem for you in a way that's actually easy. It can mean we're always going to lean towards giving you more data versus less. It can mean it, it kind of you're going to have to figure out on your context what it mm-hmm. means, but I think it it ultimately means that a customer can have a better guess at what's going to happen next and how you will solve problems. And if you can do that, it's also a pretty hard thing to replicate. Like if you're if you have an opinionated product and opinionated brand, it is pretty hard for someone else to do the exact same thing. All right, man. Well, it was awesome. Great, great insights that you had there, and. uh once again, yeah, I did not expect you to go the opinionated route when it came to your product. I've never heard people link up like that before. So where do you think, and this will be the last question before we could share with you where people could find you, where they can find out more about Wistia, but where do you think the future of tech is going? Because that's something you said is relatively easy for you to kind of foresee or, or what, yeah. what the market wants. I mean, the most obvious thing right now is that we're going to have AI augmenting and helping us do everything. And, um, you know, you will have AI helping you write things, helping you help write code, helping you edit things, helping generate ideas. It's almost like I was talking about Dolly with someone the other day. We're saying it's basically like Google search for your imagination. And, um, you know, Google search, help me find things that exist. Dolly, help me find things that don't exist yet. Um, But I can dream up. I think that 
we're really, really early days. I think that it is, this stuff is going to happen. How fast will it happen and how fast will it be good enough? I don't know. It's really hard to say. I think it, it is going to remake a lot of industries over what timeline? Like It could literally be two years on some things, but I also have a feeling there's going to be a lot of people who are terrified of this and don't trust it for a long time. So I think like I think it's possible that some of us will be living in a future that is AI augmented very quickly and I think some of us will not be there for 15 years. And I can't tell you when the switch is going to happen, but I think that that seems likely to happen. Um I think full self-driving is coming. I think the question is when. I think it's I think it's going to come. Um yeah, I mean I, you know, it's I could go on, but I, I, do, I know you don't just want me talking about like what I think the future of all technology will be for 30 minutes. I mean, I would, if we weren't up on time, I would definitely keep going, man, because I, I think uh, the discussion has been fascinating today. So, but unfortunately, we do got to wrap it up. So, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Wistia? And then we'll wrap things up, man. Yeah. So, you can find me at C Savage on Twitter. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, I think at CJ Savage or something. Just search for Chris Savage. I'm also on TikTok under some other thing. Um, and you can find my podcast, Talking Too Loud at Wistia.com or wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for it. Um, and Wistia is W-I-S-T-I-A.com. You can find all our stuff there, all our products, all our content. Um, and Ryan, thank you for having me. This is really fun. And I didn't expect to talk about this stuff either. So it's, it's, always, it's always a delight to have the conversation go into things that you're passionate about, but that you don't realize you're going to talk about. Yeah, no, it was, it was awesome. And, and I appreciate you being on. I'm very, very gracious to that. And I noticed you got excited because you talked loud in, in a few situations, not continuously the whole time. So good stuff, man. I literally, I'm like, look, I'm trying to look at my monitor over here and I'm like, I'm peaking. I have, I, I <laughs> had to adjust it down at one point during this. <laughs> awesome. All right, Chris. Well, thanks a lot. We'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue and growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.